0: and now right to your hosts of down the garden path joanne shaw and matthew dressing
1: welcome to down the garden path where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. Hello there, I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew.
0: Hello, Joanne. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen.
1: That's right. And so every fall, so as we uh, experienced a nice cool fall day today, Every fall, we talk on the show about the benefits of not cleaning up the garden as plants and leaf debris overwinter many, many beneficial insects. However, there are some pest concerns uh, in the garden that we can take steps to manage now. So tonight, we're going to discuss a few major garden pests, which have been causing us some trouble in our gardens some of which you may have heard of, and some brand new ones. Can you believe that? So we'd love to hear from you. What invasive pests or insects have attacked your garden this season? We would love for you to join the conversation. Send us your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com. Well, Matt, I think this is going to be a great
0: show. Uh, I think so, too. I think so, too. I think there's lots to cover, and there's some great... Um, insects and pests that maybe not everybody knows of. Um, I know, I know. We <laughs> can inform and educate. I mean, that's our goal is to
1: educate you so you know what to look for and you know how to, um, I think, mitigate it so it doesn't get out of hand, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think one of the the big ones on our list uh, this evening, which I think a lot of people dealt with uh, this summer across at least I you know at least across Ontario, yeah, uh, was gypsy moth that's right, or the LD moth, or DLD um, moth. Now, is I that's guess, right, the politically correct term to to use, but you <laughs> might have formally known it as <laughs> the gypsy moth, the gypsy moth. Um, yeah, and they it
1: was a brutal, I mean, this is kind of an accumulative factor of not having uh, you know, hard winters to kill off things. Um, you know, and so the gypsy moths were very, very aggressive this year, weren't they? They really. Um, and so anybody who had a tree <laughs> had, you know, and an a large uh, or anybody who had a, a near a forested area or backed onto conservation or backed onto a forest were really shocked at how um, quickly uh, those caterpillars could eat. Uh, their trees and cottage country I know some people said they couldn't even go outside uh, you know at the cottage most of the summer because the 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 it was caterpillar poop that was falling everywhere (laughs) so you know as they ate as they devoured the trees they pooped all over people's decks and people and things so they yeah it was it was quite a year for them wasn't it
0: it was it was very brutal and even in the the garden centers like places like that They just, they did not make it unscathed. Uh, Little baby caterpillars were flying in on the wind, uh, traveling through their silks like the little baby spiders do to disperse. uh, And everybody was hit. I mean, you and I uh, had that experience at at my garden center where you were looking for that tree. And we Three of us,
1: remember? It was like, I went for, it was a small tree. And I went and there were three of us that stood there for at least 20 minutes it was easy 20 minutes picking off the because I was putting it in my car so never mind the health of the tree which obviously (laughs) was important but I did not want them in my tree and my car and I did not want to bring them to my house either because I was unscathed I have to touch wood I was I was I did put some duct tape around my beech tree and and I was did some preventative but I was okay So, uh, yeah, so there were some preventative things. And so some so I think right now, let's talk about what they should do right now. And I can post it on my Instagram, or Instagram as well. But checking if you did have an issue, I think, especially on larger trees, I think looking for the egg sacs, and they are very hidden in the bark. Um, And I know it's, it's a podcast and a radio show. So we can't visually show you, Um, but please Google it. If you have questions or check our Facebook or Instagram and I will post pictures there. Cause I was at a client site with an arborist and they lived in a, like a wooded area and he pointed and I'm like, that's like, they just look like little orange, like, I don't know, a very innocuous. Like it was not this, it was not the egg sack that, I pictured so uh, it was very innocuous and he said they need to be scraped and put into a soap soapy bucket and the client called and she said she was so thankful that I told her she had no idea Um, and she was you know obviously we can't get all the ones you can't go all the way up the especially mature trees yeah but I felt like and even the arborist said like you got to try to reduce it as much as possible And, uh, and each of those teeny egg sacs could have to up to a 1000 eggs in it.
0: So Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you can see like you were saying, you know, they're just that kind of like beige or to orange kind of fluffy, almost looks like a moldy mass just tucked in on the tree. Um, Um, And yeah, there's just 1000s in each little those little clusters. Yeah, uh, of eggs. So yeah, grab whatever you can be Uh, you can reach without going up the tree like joanne said for sure yeah yeah and that's the main thing that we can do right now as far as controlling our gypsy moth or our Mm -hmm. ld moth and then just for uh yeah or ld moth sorry (laughs) i thought i had a latin name there and that's what ld uh stands the short form yeah of the latin
1: name which you know yeah. I haven't memorized it's, yet, but I'll wait, tell you. In a a yeah. <laughs> and uh, so in the spring, we don't know. It depends. It'll depend largely on how the um, winter goes. But if it happens again, uh, you know, some of the like wrapping the base, or not the base, but midway up the trunk, um, wrapping it in uh, like a double sided tape or a um, duct tape or um, some people said still wrapping, like folding, a, a cut a large, uh, wide strip of burlap and wrap that around the tree and fold it over. So then they can't, when they, cl- cause apparently they, they drop every night and then, and then, uh, crawl back up the trunk or a large percentage of them do. So if mm-hmm. we can't get them, you know, up, if they can't get up the trunk, then that's a way. So there's some like low, um, budget type things we can do um btk so if they're smaller trees and you can manage them then definitely investing in some btk and a hose end sprayer and when would we apply that matt
0: yeah so we're going to see that about mid-may to mid-june is when we're going to be able to use the btk okay Uh, so it's that bacillus thuringiensis and I can never pronounce the K, caramondosimicide, whatever. Uh, But yeah, we're going to use that for mid-May to mid-June. Once the caterpillars become so big, they're usually about that inch and a half to two-inch range, it starts to lose its effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we can apply that once every five to seven days. It's a living bacteria. And anywhere from mid-May to mid-June while they're feeding, because they do have to
1: ingest it. Right. um, Okay. So that's the goal is to get them at the stage where they're eating and they need
0: to eat the bacteria. Right. And so then they ingest the bacteria and it damages uh, their inside. And then just going back to, you were saying like the burlap or the banding. So yeah, people were doing the burlap folded over and catching them because they couldn't go back around the burlap, or using something like a tanglefoot product. So it's that sticky tart um, type stuff or duct tape reverse. We can be doing this anywhere from when they appear usually in about mid to end of April, depending on the weather, all the way through till about August when they're still caterpillar and we get the, the moth stage and some caterpillar stage. So we can track for them anywhere from That mid to end of April through to August. But our biological pesticides, like our BTK, we're going to mainly use mid-May through mid-June. And then moving into mid-June to July, as we end up with a lot of the pupa stages, we're going to basically be looking for those pupa and uh, off the stems and the branches and the trunk, and we're going to pick those off to destroy them. So there's nothing here in Canada that we have um, that can knock those or penetrate and kill all of those. But something like seven or one of those bigger chemicals in the States for our lovely neighbors to the South, they might be able to apply something to burn those off. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And if you do have, if you are concerned, so the one thing is everybody was concerned because it was so bad that if the the ca- caterpillars ate, the, it was the secondary the secondary uh, leaf or the secondary buds that the, the tree wouldn't be able to recover. But for the most part, the trees shockingly did really recover. Mm. Um, so it's just, if it happens two years in a row, it could really be an issue. Um, so if you do have, you know, prize trees or you are concerned about it um, and uh, you, you mean, you can call a local, like the tree service companies, like in the, you know, reputable arborist, um, they can do a, a more of like a different I don't know if they're using BTK only or if they have a license to use other products but um, they can because the problem with us is we can only reach so far with the BTK so they can do a little bit more thorough of a job so that's something to think about as well to know that there is an option out there and yes that's expensive but so is it expensive to replace all
0: of your trees you know. Yeah. Especially the larger ones, right? That's time. That's not mm-hmm. time and money. Oh, but yeah. You'll never get back. Yeah. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. we seeing in yeah. our lifetime. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I don't know that it's exorbitant.
1: Like I say, it's expensive. It's a cost. But yeah, yeah. you know, but yes, the the saving because yeah, like you said, you can't turn around and, and plant, you know, five more, you know, 10 foot, you know, or 20 foot trees.
0: Yeah, exactly. It that
1: way. So yeah, so that that was a new one. I think, you know, it's been an issue and on a certain certain trees and certain I wanted to say breeds, <laughs> certain trees, um, you know, you know, around, you know, we've always heard it on the peripheral, but mm. this year was a particularly bad year. And it could be that one in you know, one in 10 years or whatever they call it a one in 20 year bad year, um, but cycling in ser- like cicadas. Yes. Yes. And it was a cicada year too, apparently in the States. Yes. It so, was. yeah. So I don't know, or, you know, it's just also a symptom of not having the prolonged
0: cold that. Yeah. That benefit of that hard Canadian winter, right. Where yeah. all those tropical uh, insects that move North start to die away, but you know, our winter does really control a lot of, those insects and other pests and diseases, uh, life cycles, and those populations, or else everything would just survive. So, yeah, yeah one of those years where we didn't really get a super hard, consistent Canadian freezing winter. And uh, the LD moths definitely took that advantage and they are out in force or were out in force. So, yeah, one of the things we definitely want to make sure that we're doing, or we hopefully we get uh, this year, is that nice winter. Speaking of life cycles and names, LD uh, stands for Lemantria Dispar is okay. the Latin name. Lemantria Dispar. So that is going to be um, our non-native uh, moth. Um, I believe it's originating from Europe in places and it's moved over here and it is attacking. And then the one last part we didn't hit with our life cycle of, of our LD moth Um, mid-july through august they've pupated and they've emerged as the male and the female moth and this is where we have our uh, different traps so like our japanese beetle trap or our wasp trap there is a gypsy moth trap uh, that you can lure them in again with that pheromone uh, we trap and draw in all the boys and they land in the traps and they can't escape. There's usually sticky cards inside that are um, um, involved and they basically get stuck in there. And these okay. lures are quite strong. Uh, we had them at a spot at our garden center around the Japanese beetle traps. And we had them just like on a peg so that people could see them and see the traps. So we had them out. So not only were they the pheromones getting through the plastic bags that they came in but also after we took the lures away from the spot we were hanging them um the moths would still show up and and search the wall oh (laughs) yeah they weren't even
1: opened like they were just inside the package still
0: completely closed they were inside the package and the scent was so strong it imprinted on the wall and they were So exhausted, they were falling in nearby Japanese beetle traps and oh dying gosh. on shelves because we're <sighs> out in the garden center, right? So, yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty intense um, little lure, but it, it works very, very well. We set up a couple uh, at our garden center, and within days, it was just absolutely filled. Um, okay. It just drew everybody in. So the traps, again, work. That's good. didn't work. And yeah. unlike the Japanese beetles, they're going to go right for the trap. They're not looking to land and eat other plants at that. Right. moth stage.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Because the females stay on
1: the bark, right? The females don't leave the tree, Yeah. but the males are the ones that fly around and fly and find that. So by catching the males, you prevent them from mating with the females and prevent right. them from, from uh, creating more eggs. So yeah. It's a biology lesson. <laughs> the biology. life cycle of uh, LD moths for sure. <laughs> um so yeah so that's fascinating we're gonna have some sites in our show notes as well so that you can do you know do your own research and kind of id with them pictures and things like that too so that you can uh more feel, feel comfortable that we're talking about exactly what you think we're talking about so uh so yeah yeah help you id them uh for sure and um one of our next topics so janice is jumped is is uh kind of pegged us with our with our um uh, which one of the next things one of the next things we were going to talk about. Um, she says, hello, you always hear about garden blight or plant blight. And I know it has some sort of fungus or disease, but what is it actually? A pest? How is it prevented? And what could it do to my plants? Thank you. So one of the next things we were going to talk about is boxwood blight. Um, so I think that's one specific to, and I've only heard it specific to boxwoods.
0: Are you familiar with other blight? plant blights there yeah so there are a number of different plant blights out there that we can get i think um like we were talking with julia demacos a few weeks ago right Uh, on the tomatoes we can get an early blight and a late blight and it's that fungus that comes in and and damages the foliage and the stems and causes a drop in vigor uh, or just in cases just flat out kills plant tissue Uh, So yeah, there are lots of different blights for different trees and shrubs and vegetables and annuals and different things like that. And it's usually caused by a fungus. Uh, Sometimes they can be bacterial blights as well. But yeah, so depending on what plant you have, you'd want to make sure you identify that plant and then what is going on with that. If you've got that kind of blight or sudden desiccation of the foliage or the stems to identify uh, who it is or lead you to the, the correct answer if it's a bacterial blight or a, a right. fungus or something like that. So depending on who it is, we might need some different treatments, but usually you'll get things like Bordeaux or garden sulfur or those other fungicides. Again, as I just say, other, because I'm not fully familiar with our neighbors in the US, what they have uh, to fight their bacteria and fungal infections on their plants. Uh, but yeah, usually just identifying it and then we can usually have a treatment the one okay. that we're going to talk about one of the big ones that has been attacking uh, a staple in so many gardens is our boxwood uh is our boxwood blight so this is um this is a fungus that basically um propagates through, um, can survive a very long time, it will go through its life cycle, damaging and desiccating the boxwood plant. It almost looks like it's burnt. It just kind of really dries out. But we also get uh, some like scorch marks that appear on the leaves. So you'll see like a little black or a little dark brown dried out spot that's surrounded by some dark black etching or margins along that spot. So it almost looks like Um, a fire, a little very quick fire hit it and then it dried out where the fire was and singed the edges. So you Mm -hmm. get this black and brown spotting on your plant. You can see that on your stems as well because it affects the leaves and the stems. Uh, And it can also affect the roots and that's where we can harbor some of those fungal uh, structures in the soils and along uh, the roots. So take a look at your boxwood. It's those circular light little spots. We don't have anything that can treat our Ah, boxwood blight. Um, And it is, can be very virulent, virulent. So what happens is when you're watering it, very contagious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very (laughs) contagious. So by, you know, overhead watering by hand or the, by rain, we can, or traveling. If we touch that water and move through our boxwoods, if we're just cleaning or checking them, we can pick up and move those spores Uh, as well. One of the uh, nurseries here in North America, known as Sheridan Nurseries, they're a big supplier of boxwoods. They a huge business of boxwood. They had a lot of phytosanitary uh, measures for identifying and um, just kind of tracking this down and helping prevent the spread of it. And uh, so we haven't seen too many big issues uh that I have heard of lots Mm -hmm. here and there but we are getting reports that yeah there is it is a serious problem in North America and there are big boxwood crops that have been lost or or damaged because of the blight yeah yeah our next issue is on boxwoods as well so
1: but all nurseries I I went to a couple years ago to very strict um Uh, measures. So there's never any, not that wholesale nurseries took them as returns anyway, but um, you can't return boxwoods. Like once you buy them, you can't return them. Um, And then Pachysandra, which is a related, are they related botanically? Um, But a lot of the disease, I know, Pachysandra is a carrier. So they make sure that so often that Pachysandra is quarantined separate at the gardens, at the nurseries. I don't know about the garden centers, but at the nurseries, the growers, they've got them separate.
0: Yeah, I was just going to quickly look. I forget what family um, the Pachysandra terminalis is in, Uh, but the boxwood, our common boxwood, uh, Buxis macrophylla or Buxis sempervirens is in the uh, Buxiaceae family. And then uh, I'm going to have to just quickly look because I totally forget uh, what um, family it is in. But yes, yeah. so without anything, uh, there's no cure. You, all you can do to control this one is identify it. Uh, Make sure that you're being very sanitary with your pruning uh, equipment, with your secateurs, your cutters, your head shears, making sure that they're cleaned before moving to other things. Usually what um, we found out is that the boxwood will infect an area of roughly about 15 square feet around the boxwood. The spores are usually most active within that 15. uh, Oh, so like in, in the ground around them? Yeah, so like it's oh, like a okay. seven and a half foot radius uh, oh. in all directions, and so okay. all you can do is basically rip it up and destroy the um, destroy the the boxwood, remove them from your from your yard, and destroy them, and then hopefully don't plant anything there for quite a while.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Now, can you if uh, if you see like a few
1: spots, like as cutting that out helping you to slow it down or is it now well and certainly you need to sterilize your your um shears and your pruners but is that are you able to cut it out or is it once it's there it's just going to be a slow death
0: yeah you can try to cut it out if you're really good at um catching them early um early in the season just seeing those again those brown and black spots on the foliage and you can again try cutting it out cut a, a foot away try not to uh infect anything else by touching you know that boxwood spot and then touching it somewhere else you touch the stem you suspect it and then you touch another stem to you know yeah, yeah. continue that's so you're going to spread it there so you can try and just see if you can yeah prune it out before it spreads but yeah yeah once you've got it it tends to the, those spores uh, spread out. And yes, Pacasandra terminalis is in the Bucsiasi family uh, as well. I thought it might be, but I just didn't want to
1: be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So yeah. So watch that watering, um, watch the touching, make sure that your, you know, sanitation is the key. We want to mitigate all the stresses in our gardens. What we're seeing a lot of is because in our next pest, we're going to talk about also, uh, plays with boxwood as well, uh, but they were seeing a lot of replacement plants because of these two issues hit mm. the market, and one of them is um, ilex versicolor. Versus, uh, ilex. Try versus that versus again. Solata. Say that again. Yeah. Take two. Take two. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Gary, can you pause the recording? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so, it's a lot of our native hollies, our Ilex uh, glabra and our Ilex verticillata. The third time I couldn't do it either because mm-hmm. they are also um, evergreen or semi-evergreen, depending on which one you're getting. But then they also do have that nice, rounded, uh, somewhat elliptic, dark green, uh, evergreen leaf as well. So, you can get a few substitutes, if you will, that will give you that same look that are native to North America as well. Uh, So fairly hardy, disease resistant. You could get them just for the foliage. Or if you do like those holly berries, you want to encourage a little bit more wildlife in your yard as well. You can get those female versions of the hollies. And there's the deciduous and the evergreen as well Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Yeah, so i'm just reading there are some uh probably a bit more in the u.s so there are some disease resistant cultivars so if you're new to boxwood or if you're wanting to put some in your garden next year you know that's something to ask about at uh, your garden center um and if you do have a a diseased shrub then not putting it in the compost not putting it in the in our brown paper bags i mean they really are garbage much like um um oh my gosh it's dog strangling vine yes (laughs) um so yeah so it you know if disease symptoms are diagnosed immediately bag and remove infected plants along with the fallen leaves Uh, mulch the area to bury the remaining debris do not compost infected box material in fact they say launder all clothing gloves shoes and sanitize gardening tools so, yeah, sure. um, removal will not guarantee eradication of the boxwood blight pathogen since it can survive in fungal resting structures in the soil for many years. And that was the University of Minnesota. Um, their website so uh oh sorry University I saw the M and went Minnesota Uh University of Maryland sorry oh, about Maryland. that <laughs> yeah extension so there's certainly more you know we, we can't answer every single question but we wanted to bring everybody's attention to it I yeah. think sometimes because I think in the past a little bit of browning in the spring you were like oh that's just like winter kill. let me just trim that off and it'll be fine well I think now we really want everybody to kind of just take a closer look and if there are black Certainly, um, again, in our show notes, we'll have some pictures IDing it for you. But certainly, it should uh, really, you know, you should pay more attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm.
0: And especially in early spring, too, where we can see the boxwood leaf miner appear. And there are those little orange guys that go burrow in underneath the leaf. And then they eat a little brown um, dead tissue area, a little speckling all on the leaves as well. And you can treat that chemically or depending on the state of the infection or uh, the extent of the infection and the size of your box, would, you can also just lightly shear that out as well early in the spring to catch them. Just quickly, as I mentioned, Ilex glabra and Ilex verticillata. Um, those were just Latin names, but just the common names, the glabora is the inkberry and our verticillata is the winterberry. I didn't mention those uh, there so our inkberries and winterberries uh the inkberry being evergreen and the ilex verticillata the, the winterberry being the deciduous one with the heavy berries those are two good substitutes that look similar
1: okay excellent yeah. we have a good question from mike he is saying uh, he's listening to us from san bernardino california uh, for the first time so welcome to the show mike uh yeah, he welcome, said Mike. rabbits are everywhere in his garden i cannot get rid of them and they eat all of my plants i can't put up a fence to keep them out due to zoning laws here but i'm wondering if there are any plants that may be a turnoff for them to keep them out something that to border his yard that they do not like thank you and i know i, I there's three f's i know it so it's furry and fragrant what's the third one i'm trying to think do you remember so oh, things like lavender, catmint, yeah. Russian sage, things that have where the foliage, Mike, are fragrant, they don't like. Um, so and free. So anything that has like a like a, like a texture to it, um, all, mo- all three of those plants also have that. But I think of lamb's ears. Um, I think of things, you know, like that. And I don't know why I can't think of I thought there were three apps, furry, fragrant and something else. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, um, but I, <laughs> I hope just that remember helps. Those I'm just trying to think of anything that, yeah. So fragrant things. Um, it is tricky. I mean, we do have them here as well, especially in the winter here. Uh, Mike, they, they mow down things. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, we do have products. I don't know if you have products there, right, Matt? Scoot, is it Scoot?
0: Yeah, there's Scoot. So it's a liquid concentrate. You can mix one part Scoot, one part water. Uh, and as long as it's above five degrees, go out and either spray or paint directly. He's in on. California,
1: Matt. He's in California. That's true, too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot, totally
0: forgot where you were. But for those who aren't in California, so you could do that. I think you also might have uh, Ortho Begone Max, Animal Begone Max, which you can spray on and it's a, it distastes them. Uh, so when they bite into it, it's gross for them and they leave as well. Uh, and then we have uh, up here as well, more so for the summer, the hen manure, uh, which would be for, perfect for Mike in California. They can't stand it. It's an organic fertilizer. Uh, we get it in a pellet. You can see it in the milk carton in your fertilizer section usually mm. uh, or in a plastic bag from Fafard. But they hate the smell of that um and you can just basically sprinkle it down uh very generously everywhere and they they don't like walking through it or smelling it and then they have to clean their hands so they they just try to avoid that for sure
1: yeah so there's a few things so definitely who knew they were so um had such uh strong noses <laughs> but they do and uh so yeah so there you go i hope that helps um there's a multiple like so you've got a few things there that you can kind of um you know work with so yeah
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for
1: listening and tuning into our pest and insect uh, episode. Uh, So,
0: yes. That's right. So, yeah. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us here live on uh, Reality Radio 101. Thank you uh, to all of our new listeners, even though we maybe haven't met you yet or heard from you yet. Uh, But I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Uh, and we have a great guest next week. I think you guys will always want or want to tune in. We've got uh, Leslie Halleck from Halleck Horticulture joining us next week. We're going to look at her new book and her uh, her new book, Tiny Plants, but also uh, a number of her other books and her business as well but don't forget you can also spend more time with us down the garden path you can follow us on instagram and facebook our handle there is at down the garden path podcast and you can find us on your favorite podcast provider and while you're there please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content and please don't forget to like share and leave us a comment Uh, like mike we love to hear where you are from Don't forget, you can always write us here at Reality Radio 101. You can write to uh, our lovely producer who forwards our mail at instudio101 at gmail.com. So instudio101 at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our websites. Joanne is at www.downtoearth.ca. And you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. That's so that right. takes us through some good, two major um, pests, a uh, major pest and the major disease. Yeah. That attacking us up here. That's right. Canada,
1: That's right. Now we were going to also talk about, so I know we're going to maybe go out of order just because we've got some great listener questions about houseplants and bringing them in this time of year. And so we were yeah. going to get to that. So I just wonder if, do you want to just jump to and talk about those? Um, yeah. So yes, I'm um, trying to look at the person's day bug spray. Yes. Um, Susan's asking about those um, about, and, uh, and then the next person was asking about aphids, which are also um, Joyce. So Susan and Joyce. So I wonder if we can answer their questions by talking a little bit about as we're all, I know I've moved some into the garage in anticipation for bringing them in. <laughs> so yeah. So do we want to walk people through the best way to manage those insects so that we don't bring them into our homes this time of year yeah
0: yeah did we want to read joy and choices and suzanne oh sure yeah or... i can do that <laughs> sorry oh, okay. I mentioned Just it, maybe <laughs> others might know what we're
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so her. um i love susan she called us kids so hi kids i'm now oh, bringing oh. in some of my plants into the house for the winter and i want to know if you have a spray solution that i could make at home to spray the leaves to get rid of any bugs that might be in the leaves is there such a thing to make or do i have to buy something thank you
0: yeah you know what is as you say the key word i see there susan is in the leaves um so i don't know of anything that you can make at home that will penetrate the leaf surface so like a leaf miner the leaf leaf layers are actually protecting that insect while they feed and hide inside the leaves so you'd need to go to your independent garden center Uh, and find something systemic that you can either water in and the plant absorbs or you spray and will absorb through the leaf. So those insects that are burrowing in would eat it and die. If it's just on the leaves, yeah, there's things like um, a lot of people have success with uh, dish soaps um, and, you know, dish soaps and there's so many different recipes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I, before I jump in, yeah, like I think Dawn, I things. think
1: mixing Dawn, yeah, Dawn and, and and like Dawn dish soap and and water is an option. Yeah. Um, I think very much like an in, insecticidal soap. So I think you're still probably better off to purchase something that's a little bit yes. more tested and and that way because it's hard to get know the um, the ratio when with a homemade product, whereas yeah. at least like insecticidal soaps is basically soap, but at least they know they've been testing the 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 uh, ratios and things. So that's, that's the trick. If you have one plant and you want to kind of try a dishwasher and soap, um, you know, okay. And, and you could, you know, look after it and maybe apply it more frequently if things aren't happening. Um, But if you have a lot of plants you're bringing in, then you might want to, you know, go for it, something new. Um, I personally like to put them in the garage first and kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. see what flies out of them and stuff like that. I've heard of other people that really, especially if it's in the soil, if you soak, um, you know, kind of fill up a, a big tub or something of water and kind of soak your pots in them just to kind of get like drown and really give them a good watering. So you're kind of doing two things at once, right? Yeah. So you're, you're getting rid of the, any eggs or any insects in there that might be burrowing in that soil, you're kind of drowning them. And then you when you bring it inside, you've, you've got it at a, at a really good um, moisture level. And then you just have to maintain that. Um, I've also, when I've sprayed, I've put them in like a garbage bag or like a clear garbage bag and kind of sprayed into the bag and Mm -hmm. left and then kind of tied up the bag around the plant for a couple hours. So then that really almost like fumigates, like, you know, think about when they fumigate homes, right? So you really, I think that's good for especially like bigger things that it's hard to get all of it and hard to look under the leaves and, and stuff. So, um, so those are two things that I recommend. You know, DIYing, like, you know, just the bucket of water. And then if you are going to spray with insecticidal soap, because um, you don't want to be like, I always feel like, where are you shooting that thing and where's the overspray going, you know? Yes. So if you do it in a clear, and then just after a couple hours, take the plant out, put your next plant in, do it all over again. Um, so those are my two tips.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else that you suggest? One thing I always like to say about the sprays is just make sure that wherever you end up spraying it, if you're spraying it in the bag, it's concentrated in the bag. But if you're going to do it in like a garage or another open space, make sure there's a sliver of a breeze. doesn't need to be like a strong wind. You don't want a strong wind because it'll change and blow it in your face you don't also want stagnant air so like you were saying all that overspray and that particulate sits in the air immediately around you and you're breathing this in because mm-hmm. um, everybody reacts differently my only other thought too is um I always like to take my pot plants again size and weight dependent because if they're really big it's un- impractical to do uh, the first one is taking them out of the pots because you get a lot mm-hmm. of like pill bugs and centipedes and earwigs that will crawl down the sides and be between the pot and the ball of soil Uh, especially if you get one or two dry periods where that peat-based soil or that potting soil contracts a bit contracts yeah yeah they get to hide in there and because it's dark and it's cool and it's moist usually they'll hide there and eat the decaying matter and stuff Mm -hmm. and then the last thing I like to say is Flip again, again, depending on the size of the pot and the plant, uh, tip your pot plants o- or pot plants, oops, uh, pot <laughs> tip dead. your potted plants over and look at the holes that are on the bottom of your plants. Things like mealy bugs uh, and other like insects, earwigs and pill bugs, they will crawl in there and they can overwinter or kind of come in and then they'll reemerge as it's warmer in the house and they'll multiply again. Mm hmm. So I always yeah. like to check the bottoms and the inside edges of the pot just to be mm-hmm. certain. Perfect. Yeah.
1: And then the last thing you could do is just, if you're you know, not sure if you got them all and we never are, yeah. is to buy some of those sticky traps. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then that is something that's kind of like the last line of defense. So if something does hatch and it is a flying insect, uh, then it usually you're drawn to the color or you know you, it's just like a sticky piece of paper that on a little stick that you put in your in your plants and then they will fly there and then that benefit is you're catching them and then usually if they're females, you know you're preventing them from laying eggs um, to kind of continue that cycle so, yeah. So That's it's a, right. there's a few, you know, steps in the line of defense and I know uh, Joyce has written in about aphids. So hello, what is an aphid? What does it, or they do, and how do you get rid of them? I heard people talk about them. Are they bad? Um, so mostly an outdoor, I don't know, we, but we, there's sometimes you can bring them inside, right? Aphids?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aphids could definitely be one of the ones that are uh, indoors. It can be an issue. Um, one of them can uh, clone themselves, and uh, give live birth to fifteen babies or so wow. that are already primed to clone themselves again. Uh, so they're very quick to multiply once you have them. But Joyce, they're just uh, basically a very small uh, jelly insect. They can come in any color of the rainbow. I haven't seen purple, however. Uh, but <laughs> I think of them like fr- like fruit
1: flies too, right? Like yeah. they're a little bit bigger than a fruit fly, but they just they're persistent.
0: Yeah, that's um, a great size come. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. And definitely in the outside in the garden, you know, beneficial insects like ladybugs, praying mantis, there are certain definitely some things that you can encourage those or you can buy ladybugs
0: um, mm-hmm. when it's
1: time. So this that's not the time of year to deal with them. But if you are worried about in, uh, those insects uh, to come in the house with your pot- potted plants, then same, same things that we just talked about with the other insects, um, you know, insecticidal soap. Um, bag, water, you know, that type of thing. And then certainly the sticky traps can help with that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So one of the most important ones I wanted to talk about is kind of a new one. Yes. Uh, and I want to make sure we get it in. I know we've got a few more listed questions, but I really want to make sure that we, because we, it's a heads up. So depending mm-hmm. on where you are in the U.S. and if it's affecting you yet, in Toronto, they're really trying to control it. Um, And it is called the box tree moth. So again, boxwood, but it is a moth that is decimating boxwood. And so if you're in the GTA or you're in Etobicoke, like that's where it was first found in Canada was in Etobicoke in 2018. Uh, by a citizen scientist. Uh, she they, she uh, took photographs of the moth and uh, that's how it was ID'd. So it's obviously come in, you know, shipments from Asia, um, you know, and it's arrived here and they've done a lot of little, you know, Landscape Ontario's been involved. There's been a lot of programs to try and kind of control it. Um, it's also another reason that all the nurseries have gone and growers have gone to like extra lengths of really managing their boxwood.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, cause
1: so, um, so yeah, so I think, um, this one is a little bit better than blight in the sense that it does have a treatment, right? It does respond to BTK. Right. Um,
0: but it's not a one and done. No, we'll definitely need to be watching it, um, and pruning it out and spraying it, uh, and being very vigilant on it that it doesn't, uh, return back into Uh, your garden center for sure, or your garden center, into garden centers, but also decimating uh, your crop as well, because it is a very quick eater as well. It is just found on boxwood shrubs, so it's not going to eat everything like um, our LD moth, but it is very uh, invasive, so if you see some webbing on your boxwoods, if you see like something has been eating it, you can take a look we've got a small uh, almost like a chartreuse yellowy green caterpillar with double black stripes moving down both sides of its uh back or the length of its body and then it will pupate into about a two inch wide by one inch long uh moth that is primarily white but edged with a nice kind of a cinnamon brown edging all the way so if you google it you can see it a little bit more and right now it's it's relatively new, but yeah, we want to make sure that we're watching for it in the spring, and again we're applying the b t k uh when it when it arrives, and we're going to uh, watch for those moths. You can again get a trap for the moth and and lure them in, or you can also look for uh the cocoons of the moth and it's like a little folded over leaf. It kind of has webbed itself around in there to pupate out of, uh, and then it'll leave. Some of the feeding damage as well uh, will look like a desiccated, um, brown kind of like a dead leaf on your boxwood but it looks like it's been skeletonized or pieces have been sucked Mm -hmm. out of the center very lacy like you know that lacy
1: damage to leaves like i'm just looking at a graphic here and it's and the leaves are all you know they will eventually go brown but i think closed up zoomed in right after they've eaten it it's really kind of gone lacy and 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 chewed up um so and unfortunately they only love boxwood and there are certain areas like i think of downtown toronto there's some areas where it is boxwood city you know mature established long-term gardens that have a ton of um, edging and and border plants um, and boxwood so they're really trying to to control it um, both for for the community as well as you know the growers are really trying to control it so So yeah, so if you've got a lot of boxwood, or if you're curious, um, then please uh, do some research. And again, follow up, go to our show notes, we'll have lots of information. I think this might be the longest show notes uh, that we ever uh, supply because we're gonna have photos and links and lots of stuff. Um, But uh, yeah, it's new again, it's 2018. So this is fairly new. Um, And we know what the emerald ash borer did to the ash trees. Um, And again, it started off slowly, it was diagnosed. And then once they start to move, it's hard to control it. So there's been a lot of citizen sciences and a lot of community groups trying to, you know, um, provide, um, you know, kind of like a control, like a border. I think they're trying to kind of keep it under control in a certain area Um, and uh, definitely uh, yeah, that's something that I think everybody needs to be aware of. And if you're yes. if you're doing new gardens, and this might make make you second guess whether you want to actually put boxwood in or not. Right. So there are many guests, many insects that feed off uh, uh, pests that do feed on boxwood. Um, and as much as it's a great plant, it's slow growing for the most part. It's, it's sun and shade tolerant for the most part, um, and uh, evergreen with that nice broad leaf. It really is a great plant which is why it's so popular Um, but unfortunately uh, it's it's they're also expensive because they are slow growing so uh, so that's something to keep in mind Um, so yeah so we just felt it was really important this time of year um, so people could be aware of it hit the ground running in the spring again with btk and uh, and really trying to stay on top Uh, you know if you've just got a few boxwoods and you just want to make sure then that's fine but you know, it's it's uh, just something we really wanted everybody to be aware of.
0: Exactly, so we can keep an eye out for these guys and uh, make sure that everybody is staying safe, as well as your garden and everybody else's gardens
1: that's right that's right um so do let's get to a couple questions quickly yeah Um, so Dave is asking that he knows we hate it but it is a perfect time of year to ask this Dave uh a lawn question is (laughs) it too early to put down a winter fertilizer that he bought and he is in the
0: GTA yeah nope Dave uh you are still good to go we are in that winter fertilizer period it's cooling off uh the grass is still green out where I am Uh, just east of the GTA or in the eastern GTA. So yeah, late October, early November, we can definitely put down our uh, winter fertilizer. It'll start to dissolve now. It won't completely go. And then in early March, uh, or sorry, late March, early April, when things are squishy and warming up, we will see uh, the roots starting to eat that fertilizer again. Uh, It'll take us through the May into our spring fertilizer. So yes, right now is a perfect uh, time to do it. If you're ready to... Lever be for the year,
1: yeah, perfect timing. And Mason is asking, Where's our book? We are hard at work on our book, and is it getting close? It is getting close to Christmas. Love you guys, thank you very much, Mason. Yeah, our, we're working very hard, our editor's working very hard to have it out and ready for you to purchase and gift, um, and share with friends, uh, before Christmas. So stay tuned, we'll be giving you um, updates as we um, get closer. So, yes, um, we're excited. We're, we're, very excited. Excited. we're very excited so thank <laughs> you Mason. thank you for asking uh definitely um and another question john's asking about earwigs are they good or bad for the garden they are not great for the garden uh, but really is it is it they eat annuals they eat foliage they eat hosta foliage
0: yeah they're kind of yeah they're they're usually scavengers so they like decaying or dead organic material not that they won't eat live stuff like joanne had just said um but usually in when again kind of like the gypsy moth right you get this good year where there's so many of them um when they're large populations they will attack plants uh, and eat plants and go after things but other than that yeah they are scavengers and they will break down uh other plant material and dead things and return nutrients into the soil so they're they're good when they're left alone and they've got stuff to go after, um, but yeah, they, when they get lots of them, they can definitely attack your plants in your gardens and invade your houses and go into other yeah. spots, so yeah. yeah, good and bad, good and bad, <laughs> <I> personally... <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, And Tim is asking about beneficial insects or bugs. Are there any beneficial insects or bugs that I don't want to kill next year on my plants? Some are good, correct? Absolutely, and and that's why we recommend, like we mentioned at the top of the show, for us to lose that older mentality of let's clean up the garden and tidy it up. And um, we want the the um, beneficial insects to overwinter in our debris and overwinter in you know the stems of our perennials and in the um, you know of our ornamental grasses and things like that. So that's why it's really important to not you know literally vacuum up you know remember the old you know let's put our garden to bed and clean everything up so there's not a lick of anything anywhere we want to encourage the beneficial insects so things like we mentioned you know ladybugs uh, praying mantis um, a lot of the different um, native bee varieties are Mm -hmm. you know they want to burrow in our soil like so um, covering every inch and cleaning it all up perfectly right
0: yeah, and you have other things like uh, wasps, the wasps that we actually hate. Uh, although they bother us with the sh- refined sugars and fermenting, they actually eat other insects. There are lacewings, ladybugs, like you said. And, and overall, 90% of all insects eat another insect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of really good guys. But just like Joanne said, making sure that we're leaving the environment for them to thrive in uh really goes a long way to making sure that we've got that balance yeah and gets rid of those yeah and doing what we
1: can for that circle of life like you know like the you know the like the ladybugs will eat the eat the uh aphids you know the praying mantis probably eat the ladybugs like you know it, yeah. it can be uh you know but that's the thing we want biodiversity in our gardens and by doing less of a cleanup and and not worrying about it as much um that you know that will help contribute that so sure. uh, so
0: yeah and yeah. even those overwintering beneficials in the leaf debris in the plants right the birds that are here for the winter are going to mm-hmm. feed on them and the yeah. cycle goes forward yeah. yeah yeah
1: the seed head so I you know leaving the I can I'm always torn about my coneflower because they do self-seed quite a bit but the, the you know the 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 goldfinches that eat the seeds off my echinacea, my coral forest or ornamental grasses, as they brown and, and kind of harden and go to seed heads, you know, later in November, that's gonna be the only thing up in the garden. It is, we're late getting a frost this year. So it's amazing to sit outside and watch the goldfinches eat the seeds off your ornamental grasses. It really is. So you're right. So having those, bu- you know, good bugs, I know the birds are going to eat the bad bugs too. So that's okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that type of thing. So, yeah. So uh, um, I hope that answers your question, Tim. Thank you. That was a good (laughs) one. Uh, And it makes us help us, helps us reiterate, please don't vacuum up and scrape up everything in your garden. Um, So, and uh, one other question about Ron's asking about the best way to get rid of spider mites. So I'm guessing that's inside the house.
0: Yeah, you can get them outside. We often will see them coming up for inside as well. Uh, The thing to look for, Ron, is that's, you probably already know already, but that really fine webbing. um, And you can basically use an insecticidal soap uh, or a current spray. Again, make sure, you know, you're spraying it properly in a good spot. But also just make sure that the environment around it, too, they thrive and very warm to hot, dry conditions. So if you're getting it repeated on a plant, try to increase the humidity around that area. So if you've got a vent nearby blowing inside, you know, sitting the pot on side on top of a, a stone-filled tray filled with water, the tray wants to go out beyond the edge of the pot and create that kind of that column of, of humidity or even just misting it and just kind of monitoring it. So really kind of increasing uh, or you know, dropping the warmth but increasing the humidity uh, as well, uh, which can be very difficult, especially Ron, if you're dealing with them inside, as our air just gets really, really dry. Uh, mm-hmm. So they'll definitely attack then. Uh, but yeah, you can prune out the things, uh, prune out any damaged foliage, or you can spray them, and again, just control that environment with humidity and moisture, uh, and prevent it from being super warm. That's right. Yeah. There are some things, like I think of
1: dwarf Alberta spruces, that get in spider webs oh. and things like that those are much harder to mm. deal with from that standpoint that the tree just kind of breeds that way just i think how dense it is and yeah. um, lots of hiding places for the eggs um and also for inside i think having those sticky traps that can help too because they're crawling around and you know that could be another you know or flying on the webs and, and things like that so yeah yeah So, I mean, this is the time of year, Um, early spring, we can talk a little bit about dormant, um, if you've got other concerns, right? Dormant oil and like a horticultural spray, Um, you can do a fall treatment, right, Matt? And what would that cover?
0: Yeah, it'll cover a lot of the overwintering eggs and other insects uh, that might be just sitting on your stems and your branches. Uh, that are at this time of year we were seeing to the magnolia scale was just starting to move uh, a couple weeks ago and spread out its babies so it was a great time to continue to spray with dormant spray the lime sulfur will help burn any spores and bacterias uh, and fungal issues that are on your plants especially like scabs on fruit trees and things like that so as long as it's above five degrees celsius mix according to the instructions, you're gonna see lots of different brands on the market and then making sure you're getting a good dousing, a good wetting of your uh, stems and branches and those little hiding spots. A tree doesn't need to rain when you apply it, but you do want a nice thorough wetting to glistening so you can kind of see that it's moving and a good thorough wetting, mm-hmm. but yeah. That's right, and a that's more, invi- over- it is a, it's a
1: it's an environmentally friendly product, so it's not uh, not a chemical. Yeah. Uh, that type of thing and there's more you can read about um, I definitely want to recommend anyone who's concerned about um, anything insect related or uh, disease related in their garden so the Ontario Nursery Crops blog uh, Jennifer Llewellyn writes this uh, newsletter and I both Matt and I get it and uh, she's just got mm-hmm. she's on top of it so lots of you know it's definitely sciencey it's right at Matt's alley, but I even find it fascinating You know, she's talking things that you never heard of. Um, So there's, you know, there are some issues coming along with the beach, um, magnolia scale, uh, you know, some things just helps you just be more informed. And if you're just interested in what's happening in your little biodiverse uh, yard, then uh, especially for our Canadian listeners, but I'm sure a lot of this would be fascinating for anybody. So we're going to have a link to it in our show notes as well. That's right. Yeah. So I think it was just a great show. Thank you, everybody. What do you think, Matt?
0: I considering so it's like too. a depressing topic <laughs> a <bug is> <laughs> I don't know I would I like it I like bugs uh, I wouldn't call it depressing but <laughs> okay fascinating maybe I don't know yeah. but okay. to each his own I'm sure there's people who are love it and people who are just totally grossed out so
1: All right. well what do they say is to be informed is saying yeah, to be informed I
0: i don't know. I'm thinking of another total other newspaper saying by somebody else
1: <laughs> okay okay yeah. so you mean that's what we want to do here is i mean i think as long as much as planting the right plant in the right spot is helps keep your garden low maintenance knowing what's happening and knowing how to treat them and how to deal with situations like this also helps keep your
0: garden low maintenance and that's what we want to do here that's right. So thank you everybody for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. You're listening to Down the Garden Path. Stay tuned next Monday night when we have Leslie Halleck from Halleck Horticulture talking about her new book, Tiny Plants, which you can find on lesliehalleck.com uh, as well as I'm sure Amazon if you want to take a peek there. Thanks again for all of our listener questions and everyone for joining in. And uh, we'll see you next week here live, uh, Down the Garden Path, on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.